my name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 63, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Numbers 12 and 13, Deuteronomy 12 and 13, and Psalms 95. Numbers 12, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out of the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them stepped forward, he said, Listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had defiling skin disease. And he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's room with its flesh half eaten away. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Please, God, heal her. The Lord replied to Moses, If her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on till she was brought back. After that, the people left Hazaroth and encamped in the desert of Paran. Numbers 13, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. For each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. These are their names. From the tribe of Reuben, Shemua, son of Zachar. From the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, son of Hori. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of Issachar, Agal, son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, son of Nun. From the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, son of Rufu. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, son of Saudi. From the tribe of Manasseh, a tribe of Joseph, Gadi, son of Susi. From the tribe of Dan, Amiel, son of Gamali. From the tribe of Asher, Suther, son of Michael. From the tribe of Naphtali, Nabi, son of, of Voshi. From the tribe of Gad, Guel, son of Maki, these are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. Moses gave Hoshea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through Negev and on into the hill country. 
See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first fruit ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rohab towards Lebo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahima, Sheshiah, and Talmi, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had built seven years before Zoan and Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshgal, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We cannot attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim. There, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Deuteronomy 12 These are the decrees and the laws you must be careful to follow in the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you to possess, as long as you live in the land. Destroy completely all the places on the high mountains, on the hills, and under every spreading tree where the nations you are disposing worship their gods. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and burn their Asherah poles in the fire. Cut down the idols of their gods and wipe out their names from those places." You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, but you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. So that place you must go. There, bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithing and special gifts, what you have vowed to give, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and flocks. There, in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your families shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you have put your hand to because the Lord your God has blessed you. You are not to do so as we do here today. Everyone doing as they see fit, since you have not yet reached the resting place in the inheritance the Lord your God is giving you. But you will cross the Jordan and settle in the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and he will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. Then, to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name, there you are to bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, and all the choice possessions you have vowed to the Lord. And there, rejoice before the Lord your God, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites from your own towns who have now allotment, have no allotment or inheritance of their own. 
Be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings anywhere you please, offering them only at the place the Lord will choose in one of your tribes. And there, observe everything I command you. Nevertheless, you may slaughter your animals in any of your towns and eat as much of the meat as you want, as if it were gazelle or deer, according to the blessing the Lord your God gives you. Both the ceremonially unclean and the clean may eat it. But you must not eat the blood. Pour it out on the ground like water. You must not eat in your own towns the tithe of your grain and new wine and olive oil, or the firstborn of your herds and flocks, or whatever you have vowed to give, or your freewill offerings or special gifts. Instead, you are to eat them in the presence of the Lord your God at the place the Lord your God will choose. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites from your towns— And you are to rejoice before the Lord your God in everything you put your hand to. Be careful not to neglect the Levites as long as you live in your land. When the Lord your God has enlarged your territory as he promised you, and you crave meat and say, I would like some meat, then you may eat as much of it as you want. If the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far away from you, you may slaughter animals from the herd and flocks the Lord has given you. As I have commanded you and in your towns, you may eat as much of them as you want. Eat them as you would gazelle or deer, both the ceremonially unclean and clean may eat. But be sure you do not eat the blood because the blood is the life. You must not eat the life with the meat. You must not eat the blood, pour it out on the ground like water. Do not eat it so that it may go well with you and your children after you, because you will be doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. But take your consecrated things and whatever you have vowed to give and go to the place the Lord will choose. Present your burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord your God, both the meat and the blood. The blood of your sacrifices must be poured before the altar of the Lord your God. But you may eat the meat. Be careful to obey all these regulations I am giving you, so that it may always go well with you and your children after you, because you will be doing what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord your God. The Lord your God will cut off before you the nations you are about to invade and dispossess. But when you have driven them out and settled in their land, and after they have been destroyed before you, be careful not to be ensnared by inquiring about their gods, saying, How do these nations serve their gods? We will do the same. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, because in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. See that you do all I command you. Do not add to it or take away from it. Deuteronomy 13. If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder spoken of takes place and the prophet says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. It is the Lord your God you must follow and him you must revere. Keep his commands and obey him. Serve him and hold fast to him. That prophet or dreamer must be put to death for inciting rebellion against the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. The prophet or dreamer tried to turn you from the way the Lord your God commanded you to follow. You must purge the evil from among you.
If your very own brother or your son or your daughter or the wife you love or your closest friend secretly entices you, saying, let us go and worship other gods, gods that neither you nor your ancestors have known, gods of the peoples around you, whether near or far, from one end of the land to the other, do not yield to them or listen to them. Show them no pity. Do not spare them or shield them. You must certainly put them to death. Your hand must be the first in putting them to death. And then the hands of all the people. Stone them to death because they have tried to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Then all Israel will hear and be afraid and no one among you will do such an evil thing again. If you hear it said about one of the towns the Lord your God is giving you to live in, that troublemaker... Those troublemakers have arisen among you and have led the people of their town astray. Say, let us go and worship other gods, gods you have not known. Then you must inquire, probe, and investigate it thoroughly. And if it is true and it has been proved that this detestable thing has been done among you, you must certainly put to the sword all who live in that town. You must destroy it completely, both its people and its livestock. You are to gather all the plunder of the town into the middle of the public square and completely burn the town and all its plunder as a whole burnt offering to the Lord your God. That town is to remain a ruin forever, never to be rebuilt, and none of the condemned things are to be found in your hands. Then the Lord will turn from his fierce anger, will show you mercy, and will have compassion on you. He will increase your number as he promised on oath to your ancestors. Because you obey the Lord your God by keeping all his commands that I am giving you today and doing what is right in his eyes. Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God and great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands form the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, there are people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declare on oath, in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Dr. Carmen Imes and Dr. Gary Miller describes the first part of Numbers 12, which is the dispute with consequences between Aaron, Moses, and Miriam, as most likely taking personal issues that have led them to anger and dressing them up a bit like religious terms. As a reminder, Aaron, Moses, and Miriam are siblings. Aaron is the oldest, Miriam is the second born, and Moses was the third from the Levitical tribe. Miriam, at about the age six, remember she took her stand next to Moses as their mother floated him into the Sea of Reeds as a baby to try and save him from Pharaoh's order to kill the baby Israelite boys. She also helped to negotiate with Pharaoh's daughter to have their mother be his nurse until he was of age. And then when Moses was being commissioned and Moses told God he couldn't speak well, God said Aaron would be the voice for Moses. And then Miriam again led the women in a song of worship as they were being rescued and delivered at the Sea of Reeds by Yahweh God in Exodus 15. Both Aaron and Miriam were called prophets in Exodus. Their leadership is attested to again in Micah 6. Aaron and his sons became the priests of Israel. 
And Dr. Gary Miller does not see the issue as really about Moses' wife, whom he had married some 40 years ago. He thinks this represents some personal anger. Some options might be that they were angry that while they had a role, their role was not the same as Moses, and this may have incited some kind of jealousy. Perhaps it was that they were not a part of the elders, and this too may also have made them a bit jealous. And this made God angry. Maybe it's because Miriam brought the complaint first, not sure why, but she was the one struck with leprosy. This seems to invoke the right response, though, in the right order, because Aaron intercedes to Moses and Moses intercedes to God. For me, the lesson seems to be not to complain about the position you've been given by God, and if you make this mistake, to intercede for one another in prayer, seeking forgiveness and restoration. And God is faithful, merciful, and just, and He will make a way. Then, in Numbers 13, the first generation is so close to the Promised Land, they are tasked with sending out an exploration team to bring back samples of the goods and a report. And this turned bad quickly, with what seemed to be an exaggerated report tainted with an opinion editorial that demonstrated no faith in the promises of God. This is not going to go well. Yikes. Then, in Deuteronomy 12 and 13, Dr. Gary Miller describes the theme as worshiping God his way, and then in chapter 12, that was chapter 12, and then in chapter 13, we're reminded to worship God alone. So, the theme is worshiping God's way and worshiping God alone in Deuteronomy 12 and 13. So specifically in Deuteronomy 12, we're reading again the importance of doing things specifically the way God wants, and he's very clear that he is to be worshiped in a specific way. The Israelites were not to adapt or adopt worship methods of other groups and claim them in God's name. For example, some of the ancient other religions going on would do things like child sacrifice and some other things that he absolutely did not want associated with his name. And the greatest defense against this drift, again, we read it to listen, is to listen to God. He's the signal and not to listen to the noise that leads us astray. But listening is not enough. We must respond with obedience. Here in Deuteronomy 12, we're also reminded quite intensely of the choice and the stake. There is no later option. There is now, and there's to follow Yahweh God and flourish or choose exile. And choose exile is a choice that leads to death which is to be expected. If God is the source of life, then all alternatives lead to death in a variety of versions and ways. Dr. Sandra Richter describes a major theme in Deuteronomy as place, a special place and what the people are to do in this place. She describes how the book states 21 times the place. Your God will choose to place his name to dwell. So cool. Dr. Richter's entire dissertation was about the place of the name in Deuteronomy. So here in Deuteronomy 12, verse 11, it states, It is to be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. This statement is found in, in verse 5, 11, 14, 18, 21, and 26 in just this chapter alone. So to place the name is to put an inscription. I liken it to the concept of branding. The logo is not the brand. A logo is a symbol or trademark. But the value comes in its associations, and more importantly, the people's perception of that value association. So this is why the importance of putting God's name on display has to do with his reputation. 
There is something internal and personal about a relationship with God. He wants us to be in proximately close places to Him. He wants to talk with us and draw us into a relationship to flourish and fulfill our role in the most mature ways as He guides. God also wants us to externally bear His name. I think of other biblical references to to use, like being a light and salt. Light gives guidance and warmth, and salt both preserves and it brings out flavor. God wants us to invite others by reflecting Him and putting His name in our hearts and into our behaviors, our actions and reactions. Here in Deuteronomy, the people are being called to inscribe, this is the place in plaster of stila and put God on display, as Dr. Richter says, on a monument, a mountain of stone, creating a place to eat, rejoice, sacrifice, and worship God. Dr. Richter's research suggests this must be Mount Ebal, which is northeast of Jerusalem. And she describes how controversial this is because there's debate about where this, in quotes, place is specifically. But the promised land, sometimes referred to as the land of Canaan, which many associate with Israel, may be hard to draw lines around specifically. But she does offer some strong evidence for a focal point to this place, archaeologically, which is pretty cool to think about. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.